Brothers and sisters, may God's peace be with you all. I'm delighted to worship God with you all and bring God's word with us tonight. I pray that each of us may deepen our knowledge and love for Him through tonight's services. Let us pray and ask God for help. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your presence tonight. We thank you for your gospel, which is the power of God who saves all who believe. When we now open your word, may your Holy Spirit be with us, enlightening our heart to understand your glorious saving grace towards us. May the word of my mouth and the heart of us be pleasing to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bible and listen to God's word, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the cause of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, make us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. May God bless his word. It is often that from TV, magazines, and other multimedia that we see pictures in advertisements that show a stark contrast between before and after. For instance, a person who used to be overweight but is now fit and healthy. We have a picture. Some who was balding but now has thick Hair, or someone with rough and old skin who now has smooth and glowing skin like a baby's. These advertisements serve the purpose of making us think of what factors led to such dramatic change, changes and to capture our attention, prompting us to inquire further about the reasons behind such vivid 
transformations. Over 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul understood the power of this method. He reminded very every follower of Jesus to recognize the strong contrast between who we were before, in, uh, before believing in Jesus and who we have become after putting our faith in him. This awareness helped us realize that it's solely because God's grace that we have experienced these changes, leading us to be more thankful and praising towards God. It also encourages us to be more willing to obey God and bring glory to his name. Therefore, in tonight's sermon, we will look into the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, and learn how, through God's grace, we can be saved from spiritual death and eternal life. Our sermon outline tonight is straightforward, consisting of just two points. First, we were once dead, and second, we now alive now. Let's begin with the first point. We were once dead. In verses 1 to 3, Paul speaks to the believers in Ephesus with a direct and assertive statement. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. This is a bold and definitive statement without any subtlety. And he goes on to explain the cause of this death. It wasn't due to anything like a car accident, heart attack, or another natural cause, but rather it was because of their own trespasses and sins. The term trespasses in the original text signifies wandering off the path, stumbling and falling away. It indicates that they had deviated from God's path, choosing to go their own way, acting stumbling and disobediently. The word sins refers to missing the mark when shooting an arrow, signifying that their actions fell short of God's standard. Paul says they once walked in the trespasses and sins. When Paul uses the word walk here, he is referring to their overall lifestyle, not just a few occasional actions. Paul is conveying that they were characterized by a consistent pattern of corruption, immorality, and moral decay. According to the finding of archaeologists, the ancient Ephesus was a thriving city, serving as a center for religion, culture, and commerce. However, people tended to worship elusive deities and participate in various mysterious pagan rituals, 
which were often associated with temple prostitution. Many people in this lavish city pursued material pleasures, leading to a lifestyle characterized by indulgence and immorality. Therefore, many of Ephesus believers used to have the immoral lifestyle, and that is why Paul says they were dead in trespasses and sins in which they once walked. However, this lifestyle wasn't limited to them as Gentiles. It affected Jews too, including Paul himself. It's in verse 3, Paul states that among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Paul's point is that this is a universal human condition. Whether Jewish or Gentile, ancient or modern, all humans follow the cravings of our flesh desires, doing what our bodies and minds want. Why is that? The book of Genesis tells us the reason why all humans are dead in trespasses and sins. Since the fall of our first humans, Adam and Eve, all their descendants inherit their sinful nature, making everyone prone to sin and inclined to follow their own fleshly desires. And moreover, According to Paul, people not only follow their own fleshly desires, but are also influenced by worldly culture and lured by the evil spirit of Satan. In verse 2, Paul states that they follow the cause of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We all know that the Father, the Son, the Spirit are the Holy Trinity. But here, you see that the unholy Trinity, which are the flesh, the world, and the devil, all of which lead people further away from God and down the path of destruction. Paul spoke this word, 2,000 years ago. But it, if we look around in today's society, we can see that similar conditions persist. And in some cases, they are even worse. We find that increasingly more people these days are unfaithful in their marriages, and others find themselves involved in excessive partying, drug use, and engagement in various other perversions. The rise of the internet and technology has exacerbated these issues, with pornography being everywhere and so accessible online. Statistics suggest that one in every four internet searches is related 
to pornography. The list can go on and on. Friends, do you see it? When people do not know Christ, they fall prey to the temptation of Satan, the influence of the worldly culture, and the control of their own desires, making it impossible to break free from the bondage of sin. Paul wants us to know of this dire situation facing us as human beings. You might think to yourself, "I'm not that bad. I'm not like them. I've always lived according to my conscience. I treat myself and others with respect." But it is important to understand that when Paul talks about indulgence in the desires of the flesh, it is not limited to immoral sexual behaviors. It includes all aspects of human thought and actions that are displeasing to God. This includes what Paul mentions in Galatians chapter five, nineteen to twenty-one. It reads, "Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery." Amity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. When we look at these lists, if we are honest, we must admit that we all have committed many of these wrongdoings in our lives. First John one eight says, "If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In fact, each of us is sinner. We have all gone astray, following our own paths. That is why Paul tells us in Romans that no one is righteous, not even one." And that we all fall short of God's glory. As a result, Paul states in verse three that we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, due to our trespasses and sins, we are all under God's wrath and punishment. Some might wonder, if God is so loving, why would He punish us? Yes, God is love, but He is also holy. He cannot tolerate any sin, just as our eyes cannot tolerate any speck of dust. God is so just, and He will not. He will certainly punish those who have sinned, as just the laws of. On earth, punish those who break them. While some people may escape the consequences of earthly laws, no one escapes the judgments of the all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present God.
I remember when I was young, perhaps in first or second grade, there was a time when I played with fire with other kids at school, using a magnifying glass to ignite some papers on the playground. We saw the fire getting bigger and bigger and thick smoke billowed, and we were very excited. However, my father, who was the school's master at that time, soon realized what was going on. He was very, very angry. He punished me severely, and I still remember it vividly to this day. If we do the wrong thing, and offend our earthly fathers, we face punishment. If we break the laws of our country, we face even more severe punishment. But if we offend God, the creator of the whole universe, we are in great, great trouble. When Paul says, We were dead in trespasses and sins. The death he's talking about not only refers to physical death, but more importantly to spiritual death, which means separation from God forever. Because God is absolute, holy, just, loving, and merciful. The separation of God means the opposite of holy, the opposite of just, and the opposite of love, which is hell. The horrors of hell are beyond our imaginations. Revelation 20 describes it as a place of the lake of fire and eternal torment. Jesus himself mentioned it as a place where worms do not die and the fire is not quenched and people will be weeping and gnashing their teeth. The idea of eternal punishment with consciousness is indeed terrifying far beyond any temporal sufferings we may experience in our earthly lives. One reason why some individuals who suffer from depression or chronic illnesses may contemplate suicide is because their pain seems to never end. However, the torment in hell is far worse than that as it is truly unending. This is what Paul wants to convey here. The result of a soul without the life of Jesus Christ is death, separation from God, and facing eternal punishment. My dear friend, do not gamble with your soul. Paul would not lie to us, and neither would Jesus. The words of the Bible are entirely true, and we must take them seriously. 
Although Paul paints a very dark, bleak, and frightening picture here, the passage does not end here. After presenting the bad news, he now presents the good news that everyone needs to hear. In verse 4, he uses the Greek word there, which can be translated to however or but, signaling a powerful contrast. It says, but God's being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, make us alive together with Christ. Even though our situation was dire and terrifying, God, in his abundant mercy and great love for us, did something remarkable. He made us alive together with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Despite the deep darkness of our spiritual condition and our ongoing rebellion and disobedience against God, His love and mercy still shine through. He did not want us to remain in eternal damnation. Instead, He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, as a Lamb of God, who offered his, his sinless body on the cross, bearing the punishments of hell on behalf of us. On the cross, Jesus bled until the last drop of blood and cried out loudly, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was not only because he was enduring tremendous physical pain, but also because he was experiencing a deep spiritual anguish, feeling as if God had abandoned him. All of this happened because his deep, deep love to you and to me. When God sees his son's perfect sacrifice, his wrath towards us is appeased. Because of his perfect obedience, God therefore raised him from the dead, highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name above every name. As a result, we can freely approach the holy God with boldness, through faith in Jesus Christ. When we believe in him, God gives us a new birth through his spirit, and we are made alive once again. Hallelujah. This is the greatest and the most profound news in the world. It's the message of hope a message of love, a message of redemption, and each of us needs it. If you have been coming to church for some time, but still not receive Christ as your personal Savior, I encourage you to, to step forward to receive Him as your Lord. 
When you do so, you will experience a new life in Christ, a full life, an eternal life. For both of us as, as Christians, we need to preach this gospel to ourselves every day so that we can thank God, praise God, and serve God as a response to his love and grace. Paul says at the end of verse 5, by grace we have been saved. And he expands on this truth further in verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Therefore, salvation comes from God only. No one can earn it by doing good deeds and religious works. A dead person cannot come back to life on their own, no matter how many good deeds that they do or how much merit they accumulate. Only through God's intervention and his miraculous work can this become possible. Saint Augustine is one of the greatest theologians in history. He has written more than 113 pieces of work with a total of millions of words. His writing, like Confessions and City of God, have had a profound impact on Christian theology and uh, philosophies. And his interpretation and theological insight have greatly shaped the orthodox Christianity. But before his conversion to Christianity, do you know what kind of life he lived? Although his mother was a devout Christian, he rejected the faith. During that time, he was immersed in various forms of hedonism, debauchery, and womanizing. Although his body was alive, his soul was dead, and he lived as a walking corpse. However, God did not give up on him. On a summer day in the year 386, he was sitting in a friend's garden, feeling deeply empty, struggling and in pain. It was at that moment that he heard a voice of a child from a nearby house, pick up and read, pick up and read. Augustine, pick up the book of Romans and happen to see chapter 13 and verse 13 to 14. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Through the word of the Bible, God delivered a powerful message to Augustine. 
directly piercing his soul and making him realize the depth of his sin and his need for the salvation of Jesus. God led him step by step and continued to transform his life. He eventually became a bishop, a church father, and one of the most outstanding theologians in Christian history. Augustine was spiritually dead, yet God made him alive again in Jesus Christ and used him greatly as his servant. Brothers and sisters, have we not experienced the same? Originally, we did not know God. Some of us even resisted him and harbored hatred in our hearts. However, because of his boundless love and mercy, his spirit continuously drew us to himself, allowing us to hear his gospel and ultimately convicting us to believe in him. Can you discern God's love for you? Can you perceive his grace towards you? When we truly grasp this truth, we should find no grounds for boasting about ourselves. We ought to be humbled and reminded that everything we possess and everything we can accomplish is solely due to God's grace. This is what Paul emphasizes in verse 5. By grace, we have been saved. And moreover, verse 6 reveals that he also raises us up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. This means that once we are united with Christ, we attain a new status and our souls are securely positioned in heaven. While we reside on earth, we maintain a transcendent perspective on worldly matters. This perspective grounds us wisdom, encouragement, and the determination to live our lives according to his will. And finally, verse 7 says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This verse reveals that God's redemption of each of us has a purpose to allow, to allow our lives to manifest God's abundant grace, making it evident to future generations. In other words, through the salvation and transformation of his people, it showcases God's wisdom, love, and grace in Christ to all generations. But the questions are, but the question we must ask ourselves are, am I living a life that can demonstrate the grace 
of Jesus? Has my life reflected the kindness that Jesus has shown me? Paul has already shown us the stark contrast between what we were before and what we are now. If we weren't for God's love and mercy, sending his son to die for us, we would not have escaped eternal death and we would have suffered in the lake of fire forever and ever. Therefore, brothers and sisters, our lives no longer belong to ourselves, but to Jesus. We should regularly examine ourselves and ask, what is my life pursuing? Am I pursuing pursuing more personal pleasure, greater success in my career, or a large balance in my bank account? Or am I pursuing the exaltation of Jesus, seeking a deeper knowledge of him and obeying his word? Remember, Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Let us place Christ at the center of our lives and allow him to govern our marriages, our families, our careers, our hobbies, and our finances. Only when we do so can we live as a testimony to the glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters and friends, before you leave this place, I want you to imprint these two images in your mind. Without Christ, it is bleak, dark, horrific, dreadful, and fearful. With Christ, it is light, bright, loving, joyful, and hopeful. I earnestly pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to work in our lives, enabling us to trust Jesus with all our hearts. May we experience his rich grace and profound love so that we can live lives that please him, honor him, and bring glory to him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to your presence tonight. Thank you for the insights and the truths that we have learned just now, reminding us of your boundless love, grace, and mercy. May the word we have heard take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. May your name be glorified through all that we do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.